Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Command Zone podcast. I'm DJ, and today I'm joined with... Uh, Jordan Pridgen. Hi, I'm one of the writers, producers here on the channel. I make most of the uh, the ads. And Jordan is here today because of the new pre-con. We've got Silver Quill Statement. This new pre-con is so cool. And actually, you've gone ahead and upgraded this using our patented budget upgrade style, where we take 10 cards out, 10 new cards in, keeping it super budget. And I'm really excited to go over all the changes and the strengths of this deck. But before we get started, we got to thank the people that keep this show going. I want to thank Card Kingdom. Card Kingdom you know, you're going to buy magic cards anyways. So you should head on over to Card Kingdom and pick out awesome singles from Strixhaven or from these commander sets or buy the commander sets. Yeah, just buy the sets. Or nice. buy these specific upgrades. For so, pretty cheap, hopefully. Absolutely. I also want to thank Ultra Pro. They have amazing products. Their Eclipse sleeves are amazing. I particularly like the beautiful art that's on the back of these sleeves. They have the newest art styles from Strixhaven. If you like the themes of magic sets, Ultra Pro is the way to go because they have amazing art and great protection. Check out Ultra Pro online or at your local game store. One other way to support the Command Zone podcast is directly by becoming a patron. Patrons have access to all of us through Discord. Just type things in Discord and bam, you're chatting with me, Jimmy, Josh, anyone on the team. You also get to see things early, which is a very cool perk. And one final perk is that on every single episode, we shout out one lucky patron. And today's episode is dedicated to... Adam Adam Marthaler. Adam, you rock. (laughs) All right, let's jump right into this episode because this is a very cool deck. So first thing we're going to do is we're going to just kind of break it down. We're going to figure out what the commanders are. We're going to sort of evaluate them a little bit and find out what commander is going to be leading our deck and how we can upgrade it. Now, remember, we're going to be trying to upgrade 10 cards in, 10 cards out, not like a huge overhaul. And we're also not going to mess with the mana base uh, at all. And one other thing that we're going to do is try to keep this budget. You know, we don't want to upgrade this awesome pre-con for hundreds of dollars. No, we're going to keep it under $30 so that you can just start playing with this deck and playing with your friends. So let's start off by evaluating these commanders. Why don't you go ahead and talk about the face commander for us? Okay, so the face commander on the deck is uh, Brina the Demagogue. And uh, she she's an owl lady. She's a bird warlock, legendary creature. She is flying. Uh, she has a one three, and then because this is a uh, this is a bit of a complicated piece of text here. Uh, what it says is, whenever a player attacks one of your opponents, if that opponent has more life than another of your opponents, the, that attacking player draws a card, and you put two plus one plus one counters on a creature you control. Opponent attacking another opponent, life greater than. Uh, Hang on, can, can you, you break this down for us? Yes. Okay, good. This is very complicated. <laughs> When I read this the first time, I, I did not completely understand it, but reading through it a couple times, it, it's, it, it becomes a little clearer. So first, whenever a player attacks one of your opponents, this can be you. I am a player, yes. You're okay. a player. 
So it's not just when your opponents attack each other. If that opponent has more life than another of your opponents. Okay, so you just can't attack the person that's in last place with life. It just can't be the person who was last placed. Okay. Uh, and it's important to notice that it doesn't care about what your life total is. Oh, interesting. Okay, so, so that makes sense. So if I'm the person with the least life, I can just attack everyone? Yeah, well, and if if you, the player who controls Brina, have like the highest life total, you can still attack. Oh, and I still get to draw cards too. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so cool. you don't need to worry about keeping your life total low compared to everyone else's. So everyone like, else needs to worry about if it. If there is some sort of like guide here, it's like attack opponents mm -hmm. and don't attack the one with the least life profit. Right, exactly. Cool. And then if you, the player, attacks the opponent or... Oh, you know what? I'll go into that in a second. If you attack those uh, an opponent who does not have the lowest life total amongst your opponents, then you draw a card and you put two 1-1 one, one counters on a creature you control. So if it's my turn, I attack not the person in last place. Mm -hmm. I get to draw a card and put two plus one plus one counters on a creature I control. Yes. And this is important. If you attack two people who are not in last place, you get to draw two cards and put four plus one plus one counters on any creature you control. I like that more. I, yes. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say I like that more. <laughs> and then if it's their turn and they attack one of your opponents who doesn't have the lowest life or two, you don't get to draw the card. Whoever's doing the attacking does it, but you, the controller of Brina, always get to put the counters on one of your creatures. So I'm gonna get a lot of counters on my creatures. Yes. And on my turn, I'm probably gonna get some card draw going, but I have to give up cards to my opponents. I have to like politically let them draw some cards in order to get this value. Yeah, and the idea is that, you know, hopefully they're attacking each other and not you because a card is like a pretty good incentive for uh, people to attack each other instead of you when they don't get a card by attacking you. The way you can kind of play it is like, if you attack me, you don't get anything. Mm. I mean, it works in Edric decks, right? Mm -hmm. Like Edric decks, uh, fair Edric decks. You know, you play Edric and people attack each other and they Definitely. start drawing cards um, and it gets out of control. This seems like your card amount is capped. So that's pretty good. Yep. And so it doesn't snowball in card value quite like Edric does. But, and so it's a little bit more political. It's like toned down a little bit, a little bit more Orzov, right? Definitely. And okay. The other thing that's kind of important to remember is that you pretty much are always going to have two people you can attack and draw two cards. That's not going to be true for everyone else on the board. So the symmetry is broken a little bit by yep. the way this is worded, even though it doesn't read like that on the card. Yep. Because if you're not the lowest life total player it, opponent when you're not the one attacking with Brina, you only have one target that you can attack and draw a card off of. Got it, got it. Okay, that's really interesting. And I'm glad yeah. that you were here to explain it because it's a, it's a little bit of a, <laughs> it it's a little bit of a mess. Okay, so that's one of the Orzov commanders in the deck. There's another one that we have to figure out because we want to see who's going to be helming this upgrade guide. So uh, the other one is Felisa, Fang of Silverquill. Uh, she is two white and a black and she is a legendary creature, Vampire Wizard. She also has flying, and then she has Mentor, which uh, I think <laughs> is originally from, what, Guilds of Ravnica? Yeah, one of the Ravnica sets. One of yeah. the Ravnica sets. And that means whenever this creature attacks, you can put a plus one, plus one counter on target attacking creature with lesser power. Uh, so that's just a nice way to pump up little creatures. But then, uh, whenever a non-token creature you control dies, if it had counters on it, create X, tap two, one, white and black, Inkling creature tokens with flying, where X is the number of counters it had on it. So Inklings are a card, like a mechanic kind of for Silverquill yeah. in the set, and I like them a lot. No, they're really nice. Yeah, um, 
I think that a 2-1 flyer is a really relevant token to have. You know, it's got evasion. It's 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 kind of worth a card, honestly. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously, you know, in Commander, we're willing to, like, give people small on-the-ground tokens. Oh, yeah. Like, ah, you can have a 1-1 one, one token. Matter. That's fine, yeah. Eh, Amphid Mutineer gives you a 4-3. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right, you're right. But I feel like when you add evasion to it, it just... Yeah. Takes it up a notch. And, and also, wait, what's her what's her power? Her power is three two. So obviously, it's like designed so that she can pump the inklings yep. uh, with her mentor ability. Mm -hmm. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, to naturally get these attacking flyers, and she gets in pretty easily too because they all have evasion. Yep, and it. It basically also uh, because of the fact that like you put these counters on i mean you do have to put the counters on non-token creatures if you want them to die and make inklings yeah but like true. she puts those counters on it and then if you have some sort of you know aristocrat strategy way to sacrifice them or if they even just roll them into face and they die you get value out of it mm. and i like i'm a big fan of of strategies that require you to put stuff on the battlefield to have insurance policies yeah you know if it's indestructible or you know in this case you get tokens back you know you feel not as bad, you know, if you have this and a Basri's Lieutenant and like all of these ways to gain value. And so when a board wipe happens, wipe definitely happens, you're not just gone. Yeah. You know, your board is like in inoculated from those kinds of things. Well, and Felisa, if you have, you know, like three or four creatures that are just loaded up with counters, because you probably want other ways to put counters in a Felisa deck too, yeah. then anyone who wants to deal with your board and can't exile all creatures it is going to just have another board to deal with right after it. Wow. And also, it's not just like, oh, if it has plus one, plus one counters on it, make a two one. No. It's make that many. Which can get huge. <laughs> huge. That sounds awesome. That sounds yeah. awesome. So even though she can't easily make things huge, like there's tons of plus one, plus one counter synergies across magic, across different areas. Like, yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, it sounds like also you have two very different commanders. One of them is really political, attacky, and the other one is is very like kind of defensive a little bit. Yeah, and, and I think there's an aristocrats flavor to Felisa, like sacrificing, getting value. Out aristocrats of that. is a hard strategy to pull off. Yeah it, yeah, it definitely can be. But I also think that there's like value in the fact that it just you know it, it adds resilience to your board, so you don't necessarily need to be sacrificing all your creatures to be getting some solid value out of Felisa. But I think to get the most, you probably want like good methods to do that perfect mm -hmm. okay so those are actually the two commanders that we have to choose from when upgrading this deck there are two more legendaries here that we're going to cover um, but they're mono black and mono white so we can't really put them at the helm of this deck um, but we're going to cover them anyways because they're legendaries in this awesome pre-con so let's go ahead uh, they are both pretty complicated as well uh, so the first i'm going to go into is fane the broker uh, fane the broker is two and a black and he is a legendary creature human warlock who is a three three and he has four activated abilities. Whew. Okay. <laughs> so the first one is tap him, sacrifice a creature, put two plus one plus one counters on target creature. So you kill a creature, you make another creature bigger. His second ability is tap, remove a counter from a creature you control, create a treasure token. So you can take one of those counters you just put on, take it off, and make a treasure out okay. of it. And then... His third ability is tap him, sacrifice an artifact, create a 2-1 white and black inkling creature token with flying. 
So Okay, now you can turn it into an inkling, got you it. You could turn that treasure into an inkling, which I guess you could then put counters on and take those counters it's off to make, make treasures. This is like trading post the... <laughs> yeah, it's super <laughs> complicated. And then finally, for three and a black, you can untap Fane the Broker. Okay. So, so for infinite mana, can we get infinite inklings? You sure can, yeah. Okay. I mean, that sounds pretty good, right? I mean, yeah. I guess, and if you can get to infinite inklings, you can also get to infinite treasure and infinite plus one, plus one counters. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, you would still have to swing in with it, but with infinite mana, Fane does win you the game for okay. the most part. Okay. Um, it seems like a clunky way with infinite mana to win now. It seems very clunky. Okay. Do it... Do you like any of these modes just as a value thing, like trading post? Uh, you know, do any of them really like I, excite you? Personally, not really. I okay. think he's a little slow. I mean, he is three mana, so at least you can get him down kind of early, but he does have to like tap to do any of his stuff. I think the best of the modes here is probably to remove a counter from a creature you control and create a treasure token. Do you know what I like that? I like the ability to invest mana to get like mana later. Yeah. Um, so I do like the treasure. I also kind of like, I mean, we talked about aristocrat strategies. What about sacking a creature to get two plus one plus one counters? Sure, I think that's good. I, I just think that that one... I wouldn't count on Fane himself for. Like, you need to have other things that are going oh, to create you're right. creatures to you're kill. Right. He needs to be part of an engine rather than yeah. just like, oh, I'm super excited just to add two plus one plus one counters. Yeah. I think, like, how variable he is, like, how much you can do with him, he could be really good in a deck that, like, has those engines, like, built for him. Cool. I don't know if I'd rely on him alone. Okay. It sounds like he fits in this deck, though. Yeah, okay. I think so. What about the mono white one? Okay, the mono white one is Nils, Discipline Enforcer. He is two and a white, and he is a legendary creature, Human Cleric. And he's a 2-2. Two -two. And at the beginning of your instep, for each player, put a plus one, plus one counter on up to one target creature that player controls. Each creature with one or more counters on it can't attack you or Planeswalkers you control unless its controller pays X, where X is the number of counters on that creature. Political distribute counters, maybe a little bit group huggy. Um, He's sort of like a build your own slow ghostly prison kind of deal. Except for when you kill it. It goes away. But they keep the counters. Yes. So it ends Which, up being really kind of bad. That's that's my least favorite thing about, like, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Nils. Um, mm -hmm. Just because for exactly the reason you said, like, if you build up a really powerful board for your opponents, and then they're just like, cool, path. And suddenly you've got a whole bunch of beefy creatures that you created on the other side being like, oh, you can't attack me, but they can, they can attack you. I mean, if your opponents are playing a token deck, then like this kind of shuts that down. Sure, definitely. <laughs> if, if they're trying to get sorry, counters, token counter deck. Counter right. Deck, yeah. Because if they're trying to put counters in their own stuff and you play this, then they're going to, they're going to be in trouble. Are you plagued by Avengers of Zendikar? Well, check out this mono white commander. Nils might be the answer, unless uh, they run removal. I do you know what? I think that um, there's some political aspect to this because do we love with our the face commander them drawing cards? No, not really. But it seems like there's some throwing around of counters and some uh, political nature to it. So I feel like there's some some cool corner cases where you can uh, do a lot of uh, table talk to try yeah. to make things. Because you don't have to throw a bunch of counters around with this commander, right? No, you can choose. Uh, it's up to one target creature. Yeah, so you can pick zero. Yeah, so you yeah. can make people agree, like, look, I'll put a counter on this guy so you can, you know, get through someone else's defenses, but you have to agree to not attack me with it. 
you know, I, I like group hug when you can choose who you're hugging. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like then it's a little bit more political. Then you can actually get your point across. Mm -hmm. If you just hug everyone, then what's your hug worth? But if you can like hold your love above some people and give it to others. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the manipulation that we're looking for. I'm, I'm not generally a hugger myself, but, uh, but it does feel like something like this that you can use as like political leverage makes it a little better. Yeah. I mean, it also puts counters on your creatures, which makes it not terrible in a deck that cares about counters. I so. kind of like it. I actually kind of like it. Yeah. It's interesting. Okay. I'm, I'm a little down on it, but I, I still think it has some utility. How are, how are you at throwing um, scripts? Uh, I have not. I've never tried before. <gasps> Everyone. Let's, let's watch. Okay. So I'm awful at okay. it, but I also have more pizzazz. Mm-hmm. Josh and Jimmy just go for the flip up and it goes off the side. Okay. I'm a big fan of the toward the camera, but uh-huh. then have it not actually go off the table or come back and like do stuff. I, I oh, tried that to was good. The frisbee like style. I like it. Frisbee spin it, but it didn't quite work out. All right. Uh, so now we're going to transition into this deck and we're going to talk about the stats. Excellent job. I wasn't quite ready for that one, but I, I that's why I did the jujus a little bit longer. The transformer sounds. Yeah. Nice lead in. Okay. Let's talk about these stats. So first off ramp spells in this deck. We're, we're sitting at 12 straight out of the box. Yeah, it's not bad. That's that's not bad. Are Now, are any of them uh, clunky white related ramp? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> but are are some of them like solid artifacts that you would include in any commander deck? Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. If you're above 10, you can have a few of them be clunky, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, ramp is ramp. Uh, sure, if you're building your like ideal deck, you want like quick two mana ramp, stuff that will like really get you there, mm-hmm. land ramp you, whatever. But like, I certainly am not anti-ramp. <laughs> like, if you give me a three-mana ramp that's just a colorless mana in a pre-con deck, I'll take it. Sounds good. So ramp seems really solid. Mm-hmm. Card draw. Ten sources of card draw. Not bad. Not bad. This is what we're going for. I also think that it's worth uh, pointing out that at least on Brina, and maybe uh, there's a little bit of other stuff in the other ones, but on Brina as a commander, there is card draw on the commander itself, and... That counts for a lot. That really does. Because mm-hmm. if you think I have 10 sources of ramp in my 100 card deck, you're going to draw it. But when you always have one of those sources yeah. in your hand, like you're going to be fine when it comes to card draw because you always have access to it. Yep. That's that's great. I mean, maybe we haven't decided what commander we're going to choose yet, but maybe that has us leaning towards Brina a little bit more. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, sources of single target removal. Seven. Yeah, it's not bad. I still think you could use more, especially if you're like in a political deck. Mm. Like you kind of want to be able to remove things that yeah, shift the balance of power. I like that in, in instant speed too, because you you want to politically say like, don't attack me. And then when they do, you, you gotta go, to, you got to be able to answer it. You got to right. be able to kill it and say like, you shouldn't have attacked me because part of the politics could be redirecting people other directions. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, board wipes four. That's that's a, a, a little low, but the ones that are in there are not all that good. And I think that's my major issue with it. You're uh, also right giving bat. stuff away, right? Like yeah. you're giving counters, you're giving stuff. You're kind of like, what happens if your political, you know, machinations just sort of crumble? You might need a safety valve and be able to sort of wipe the board. Yeah, you want some solid board wipes, especially ones that... Uh, 
that, that can handle things if they start getting out of hand. Because mm -hmm. especially if you're providing counters or card draw to other people, if they start taking off with the game, you need to be able to handle it. Yeah, you're giving them card draw. Like, yeah, yeah I, I, I definitely think that you need some, some more board wipes in here. Mm -hmm. uh, and then... Let's talk about some of the synergies that exist in the decks. Uh, sure. Plus one, plus one counters is definitely a synergy. Yeah. And there are 11 ways to put plus one, plus one counters on creatures. And I, I think it's important to like point out that the plus one, plus one counters works with three of the four possible commanders. Nice. And obviously, Fane can't run the deck on his own, but still, like, synergizes very well with counters. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and by the way, five of these sources can target your opponent's creatures. So mm -hmm. there is some political shenaniganery distributing plus one, plus one counters. Definitely. I like that all the commanders, all the legendaries in here, d like kind of manipulate with plus one, plus one counters a little bit. That's oh yeah, cool. I guess all four of them do. I don't know why I said only three, but four of the commanders, they all have some synergy Something with, plus one, plus with that. Something with that. That's yeah. good. Um, and then finally, we have incentivizing attacks. That's this political thing. Uh, Brina, the, the helm commander in the mm -hmm. front. Uh, we have, wait, 22 different ways to incentivize attacking yeah. or disincentivize attacking, things like that. It's pretty, It's it's got a lot in there to manipulate how people are engaging with the battlefield. Wow. That's, mm -hmm. that's really cool. And that just leads us into kind of how this deck is designed to be. And so as we kind of transition to, you know, we're thinking in our head, well, what's the commander going to be? How are we going to build this? You know, we're thinking about plus one, plus one counters. We're thinking about incentivizing attacks. We're thinking about politics. We're thinking about some elements of control. Very cool. Yep. But before we get into who's going to lead and how we're going to upgrade this deck, let's talk about the financial value of this thing, because that's something people get really excited about because it's always a good value. Yeah. Like these pre-cons are always a great value, but some of them are better than others. Let's find out how the Silver Quill deck stacks up. So uh, remember, a few notes. This takes into uh, the um, value of the reprints only. Okay, so not, you know, the new cards, which can have their own sort of new prices. Right. So only the pre uh, only the reprints and prices are from when we record this, which is before release. When things release, prices go all the, over the place. Yeah, it could change a lot, but. Yes. And the total value of this deck is $88. Not bad. Not bad. Um, it's not as high as some of the other ones. I think Lorehold had over $100 in value. Yeah. Um, and But some of the other ones had definitely below this as well. So it feels like this is, a, this is kind of in the middle, sitting close to $90. I like that. And then if we look at the cards over $2, there are 14 cards over $2, coming in at $64.24. And there are four cards over $5 coming in at $37.46. You know, um, of course, that $64, 37 of it is in that $5 range as well, because cards that are over $5 are also over $2. Yes. The top card that was reprinted, I had to look it up. Yeah, I didn't I did know. Too. I honestly like didn't know what it was. It, it, it shocked me when I saw that this card was. It's that I didn't know about it. Yeah, and, it's Deathbringer Liege, mm -hmm. and I know about the Liege cycle, you know. But Deathbringer Liege is the Orzov Liege. It pumps white creatures. It pumps black creatures. Uh, it triggers when you cast white spells and, and black spells. Uh, it's sixteen dollars. I think a lot of that is because, I mean, it is, it's pretty good in, in any two-color deck. And it's also from the, what is it, Shadowmoor? It's from a long time ago. <laughs> it, it's it's from like Lorwyn, Shadowmoor, stuff like that. And a lot of those cards have like not been reprinted it all that much. It definitely needed a reprint. 
Um, so Deathbringer Liege is uh, two and three white-black hybrid symbols. So you can use white or black to pay for it, basically. And it has the abilities, other white creatures you control get plus one plus one, other black creatures you control get plus one plus one, and whenever you cast a white spell, you may tap target creature, and whenever you cast a black spell, you may destroy target creature if it's tapped. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So if you're casting black and white spells, then all of them turn into extra removal. This fits really well in this deck too, because um, Inklings, are Inklings white or black or... They are both. They're both. Okay, so they're yep. getting plus two, plus two. And also, we have a whole deck that's incentivizing attacking, right? Yeah. You know, like if you can, you need to draw your card, you need to attack and turn your creature sideways. And if we just cast a black spell, we destroy it? Yeah. That's if, awesome. If you turn a board of like, even let's say you have like four two, one flying inklings. If you turn them all into four, three flying inklings, <laughs> and then every black and white card in your deck is removal. Oh my gosh. That's huge. I'm so glad at this reprint. Yeah. Um, <laughs> another high value reprint is Windborn Muse. Uh, Windborn Muse coming in at $8. Uh, and this is just another sort of ghostly prison effect. You know, send your opponent's attacks elsewhere. Yep. Uh, the next expensive card that's reprinted at $750 is Selfless Squire. This flashy human soldier is a fog, but as it prevents that much damage, it gets that much bigger. So this thing can flash down, fog a single attack. Actually, it can fog any damage. It's really yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Um so if you're getting burnt out or something like that, it's just like, no, thank you. I'm not taking that damage. Selfless Squire's getting huge. Yeah. And also gets huge with plus one, plus one counters. Yep. Very cool. And then the final one is a land reprint here. Why don't you take a look at this one? For so me. this is Mikokoro, Center of the Sea. Um, and I think this was reprinted somewhat recently in like it Ma- was, 25 yeah. or something like that. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure. Don't hold me to that. Um, but this just taps to add a colorless mana, and then you can pay two and tap, and each player draws a card. So it doesn't seem to fit very well, like force draw, but it's a political deck, and it yeah. needed a reprint coming in at $6. Needed a reprint, yeah, so it, throw it in. It's a valuable card. Great. I love it. Yeah. You know, it kind of fits, and it needs a reprint. I lo- Trust me, I love it when they shoehorn awesome reprints in. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, great. <laughs> you, you got to make sure that it's it's right for how you're playing the deck. Like I, I you know, you have to make sure you are yeah, playing but you the don't politics. Have to activate it, and no. it comes into play untapped. Yeah, slam dunk, slam dunk. Okay, uh, other cards under five dollars, but still over two dollars. Good stuff for reprints. Curse of disturbance, Bajuka Bog, uh, exiling graveyards is important. Yeah. Bajuka Bog should just be yeah, in every don't let, deck. <laughs> don't let your opponents play with graveyards. Okay. Uh, Boreas Charger, Soul Ring, Ghostly Prison, Debtor's Knell, Utter End, Arcane Signet, Duelist Heritage, and Sun Scorch Region. All of those over $2. All of those solid reprints yeah. that I think I'd play in a lot of different commander decks. Okay, so pretty pretty good value. Nice, nice looking reprints on here. But let's talk about upgrading this thing. Who are we going to choose as the commander? So I decided to build around the face commander, Brina the Demagogue. Um, if only because... I think that Brina and Felisa are both really powerful choices, uh, but Brina has just such an interesting like way of playing, and it mm. it really is one of the most political like commanders that probably has ever been released in a lot of ways. Wow, what, did you just hear? I, I think so because you know powerful it, words. Okay. I, that being said, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure if you if you went to like a really high powered table, if Brina would be great. Because, yeah, I don't know about that because you're giving you're giving away too much. But yeah. sometimes at really high powered tables, they don't have creatures. That's true. Like like Timna the Weaver is mm-hmm. a is a 
attacky card draw uh, commander and it does really well at competitive tables but no this is probably not going to be super competitive well and I think it's I think people have been kind of comparing Brina to Timna and Edric mm-hmm. and both of those are pretty powerful commanders that even though uh, well especially in Edric's case there is some value that other people can get out of it you can sort of make it a, a little more asymmetrical and I think it's important to point out that as opposed to Timna and Edric you don't have to connect with the creature to get the card draw and the counters. With Brina, you just have to attack. Just throw an inkling. Yeah, and you can throw an inkling at someone and like throw an inkling at two of your opponents, put four counters on one of those inklings, and suddenly (laughs) the thing that's rolling in is a 6-5. Oh my gosh, that play pattern's awesome. Yeah, it's really powerful. I I don't think that this... I don't think that your decision is designed to discount no. how awesome the other commander is, but maybe it just needs a little bit more support, a little bit more I think than 10 cards. The deck as a pre-con right now plays pretty well with Brina. And I think if I was building for Felisa, I would do a bit more of an overhaul than what the deck is right now, because I do think it needs more of that like sacrifice synergy. It needs more stuff that you get value when it dies, things like that. I failed. <laughs> you try again. Okay. <laughs> Josh makes me try again, and it's very, it's very demoralizing. Son of a. <laughs> All right. All right. So let's talk about the best cards in the deck because, spoiler, you played this deck on a on a episode of Extra Turns. I did. That may or may not be out right now or coming up. There's no way to know. There's no way to know. <laughs> but but you've. You've played with this deck. You're the one that upgraded it. Mm-hmm. You've you've gotten some experience with it. So what are some of the best cards in this deck? Uh, well, uh, so uh, there's a lot of pretty powerful cards in the deck. Um, I mean, obviously, Brina is a bit of an all-star on its own. But uh, one of the cards that really stood out, and this is one of the new cards that came out. The first one is Ink Shield. So Ink Shield is three, a white, and a black. And it's, it's kind of like a fog, but a fog with a a pretty major upside. Uh, So it reads, it's an instant, and it says, prevent all combat damage that will be dealt to you this turn. For each one damage prevented this way, create a 2-1 white and black inkling creature token with flying. Whoa. Yeah. That is a powerful fog. Like, fogs can be a little low impact, Mm -hmm. but like, this is a fog that then creates you a board. And it can create you a really big board. I... I think that the ceiling on this is really high. The ceiling on really this is high. like is like your opponent alpha strikes with their crater hoof yeah. and suddenly you've won the game. Yeah. Like this so I'm imagining this super high ceiling. I'm also a little bit worried about it costing five mana. Five is a lot. Mm-hmm. But I think that when you play this card, it is like later in the game where people have like built up their big boards and stuff. The question is, are you gonna be able to like leave that five mana open and available for stuff? Um, I don't think you have to take that much damage for this to be good, though. Like, no. like if there's just a single creature coming through, sure. if someone comes in for chip damage and do, like five damage or something like that. Yeah, you get ten, po- ten power, power the on the air. board. Yeah, like so, I feel like it doesn't take much for this to be really good. The only issue is sort of holding up that mana and yeah. maybe being in my case, it's like being too greedy. Uh-huh. It's like, it's like, Oh, they're coming in for four. Yeah. I can uh, take I four. <laughs> well, you can always take four. I think that's one of the things about this is that you can feel like you can always take four. So people are really willing to come in. Yeah. Know? But I guess the, the question you kind of have to think is like, when does it make sense to you to pay five mana to create however many, like, 2-1 flyers. Like, I I think at five, 
it's a pretty good deal. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. I would love it at five. Yeah, I think it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this also facilitates one other thing that you mentioned is that like you like the single target removal yeah. to be upped a little bit. And you also like the, we talked about it being instant speed so we can kind of interact politically on other people's turns. Yeah. It also helps if one of your big splashy spells is also at instant speed. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? So you can hold this up, you can do some interaction. You have some options. Some other stuff. Uh, awesome. It's also, I mean, it's it's a great card for kind of what we were talking about earlier, where it's like, if you're being like, don't attack me, you don't want to attack me, look, you get cards for attacking other people. Oh, look, everything's fine if you attack anyone but me, and then they attack you, and they're immediately punished by giving you a big board of flyers, which you can roll in after them. That teaches people not to mess with you. This might be this might be <laughs> telegraphed after the first time you do it. Sure. I wouldn't be surprised if you play this and suddenly just win the game with an inkling massacre yeah. coming down on your opponent's face. And then after that, um, people look for it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What else do we have? Uh, so the next we have on the list is uh, Together Forever. So this card is an enchantment and it's too white. And when... E- when Together Forever enters the battlefield, support two. And support two, it means put a plus one, plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures. So it just right off the bat puts two counters out, which is fine. That's not all that exciting uh, for two mana. But the part that I really like is that it has the activated ability of pay one mana, choose target creature with a counter on it. When that creature dies this turn, return that card to its owner's hand. Hmm, insurance policy. Yeah, so like that. that makes your board really resilient. Um, it also can work if you are building more towards the aristocrats strategy or something like that, because you can sacrifice stuff, get it back in your hand, get an ETB value again, something like that. If it's something that creates tokens or uh, creates counters, uh, you just keep getting more out of it. And I think that in a deck like this, where you really want to have a board at all times, Anything that can add resilience to your board is really key. Because you always want something to put plus and plus and counters on. Yeah. You always want to keep your board. And so, you always yeah, want that makes sense. Some, I got some it. bodies that you can throw at people to get your card draw, to get your counters. Yeah, I can imagine if you like get board wiped or if things happen, you get just get really frustrated that yeah. you can't swing and get your count, get your cards. Yep. You Other people are swinging, you can't get your counters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see how the deck might stall a little bit yeah. that way too. Interesting. And this is a reprint from Battle Bond, right? Yes. Awesome. And then, uh, this is another one of the new cards. This is Keen Duelist. Uh, I think this card is awesome. Uh, This is one in a black. It is a creature, Human Wizard, which is a 2-2. At the beginning of your upkeep, you and target opponent each reveal the top card of your library. You each lose life equal to the mana value of the card revealed by the other player. You each put the card you revealed into your hand. I love this card so much. I I really like it. It's... I don't love giving opponents cards, but this is just like, it's political Bob. Yeah, it is. I like it a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Bob being a a dark confidant, which just at the beginning of your upkeep reveals a card from top of your deck, pings you for its converted mana cost and puts it into your hand. There are other cards, I think, that that group draw that deals damage to everyone, like Mm -hmm. Duskmantle Seer, maybe. Yeah. 
I don't know why I didn't look that up beforehand, but <laughs> trust us, they exist. <laughs> yeah, uh, they they definitely do exist. But this is cool. Yeah, like it's definitely card draw. It comes down early. Man, I can see some other decks like setting up the top of their library and doing a ton of damage. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, one, this can be used as a way to damage other people. Two, if you're not setting that up. Like everyone is going to be vying to be the person. Just imagine if you like vampiric toot or something crazy on top. Yeah. You just attack and like 10 someone or something. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That'd be nuts. Eurocodex or something like that. Right. Oh my. Okay. 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 I like that one. I like that one a lot. I like it. I think it's super cool. I I think it's a really neat card draw. Here's another form of card draw that I'm a big fan of. Yes. And I, I'm also a huge fan of this sort of thing. So this is author of shadows. It is four and a black and is a creature shade warlock It is a little expensive, but I think it's a pretty powerful effect. So it is a 3-3, but when Author of Shadows enters the battlefield, exile all cards from all opponents' graveyards. Choose a non-land card exiled this way. You may cast that card for as long as it remains exiled, and you may spend mana as though were mana of any color to cast that spell. Okay, so this enters the battlefield and disrupts your opponent's graveyards. Which, already thumbs up. Yeah. I, people, Bajukabog is great. All of these things are great. Graveyards are super important. Get out of here, graveyard. Extra hands, gone. <laughs> <laughs> so many decks use it as like an extra hand. It's not a downside to have something in your graveyard. No. Uh, and then you get to kind of tutor amongst it yeah. for whatever cards you need or want. You pick the very best thing in it, which is often going to be quite good. The only thing that makes me sad about this is that it loses value as you like blink it or reanimate or something like that yeah. because you can only exile your opponent's graveyards so often. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think this could be neat if you also have a way to like mill some more stuff into people's graveyards. Mm-hmm. But even without that, I feel like it's it's worthwhile running. Just like graveyard disruption, I think is so key. It's I'm glad that you decided to like shout it out right here because yeah. people need to know graveyards are graveyards are dangerous. <laughs> yes. Don't go into graveyards. In, in real life, too. Z- <laughs> right. Zombies. Okay. Okay, so the next card I wanted to highlight was Oreskos Explorer. Uh, this is one in a white, and this is a creature, Cat Scout. It is a 2-2. And when Oreskos Explorer enters the battlefield, search your library for up to X plane cards, planes cards, where X is the number of players who control more land than you. Reveal those cards, put them into your hand, then shuffle. Um... So this is a reprint. Yeah. I, and I'm aware of it, but I don't run it in any decks. So can you, can you convince me to start running this card in my white decks? My experience with this card, especially because the majority of your ramp in a white deck, especially a white deck without green, is going to be like artifact ramp. You are pretty much always going to kind of be behind everybody in the number of lands that are on the table. Like my experience with playing this is that you can play it on like turn two before you play your second land drop and get three planes in your hand. And then this is also a really important part in Brina is that it's a really early body that you can just have on the board. So it like basically draws you cards, not any card, it just draws you land cards, but then Lands you don't cards miss your too. land. Let's not discriminate here. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But then you hit your land drops for the next couple turns, which is something you never want to like lose. Yeah, you never, you never want to not hit your land drop. Yeah. It's, even in every deck, because even if you're ramping and you don't hit your land drop, it's like, well, what good was that piece of ramp? You missed your land drop. Yeah, you know? this is probably a little, this is not as good later in the game, but like if you do manage to get this in your opening hand or, or um, even on like turn three or four, then you're pretty likely to get to draw the three lands cards. you need out of it. Yeah. And if, for instance, you play this on turn two and you don't get as much, 
then probably someone else has missed a land drop or you're already ahead in some other way. And it's just not that, I don't think it's that big of a downside. Okay, so, so better than you think, yeah. white needs card advantage and this gets you there and you never want to miss a land drop, so this gets you there. How about we talk about... So that's your pick, but let's just talk about a spicy form of ramp yes. that's included in the pre-con. Oh boy, I, I think this card is really neat. I, I, I have not gotten quite enough games in with this to like see it like really explode or anything like that, but this seems really cool. Uh, so this is called Scholarship Sponsor. It is three and a white, and it is a creature, Human Advisor. When Scholarship Sponsor enters the battlefield, each player who controls fewer lands than the player who controls the most lands searches their library for a number of basic land cards less than or equal to the difference, puts those cards into the battlefield tapped, then shuffles. So, enters the battlefield. We look and see who has the most lands. That person does nothing. Everyone else gets to go searching for basics to catch up. They land balance up. That's... Bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> I like it a lot. I really like it. One one other reason why I like it a lot is because there's a lot of commander players out there that have very tuned decks, mm -hmm. and there are not enough basics in not it. Not at all. That includes myself. I yeah. regularly skimp on my basics, if, and I'm not punished for it ever, but I might finally start getting punished with this card. It's a little bit group huggy, but do you know what? White is the, the color of fairness, right? It, it, it at least helps you usually as much as it helps everybody else. Totally. Like, you all get to an even point there. And again, if you've been artifact ramping where a green player across from you has just been playing Cultivates and Kodama's Reaches and just loading up on uh, lands, that's a huge swing for you that could put you ahead of them. Yeah. yeah. You know what I didn't think about? Like that you're not, you're not actually behind. Your ramp is just in a different area. Exactly. Very cool. Yeah. I also am super excited for someone else to play this and for yeah. me to just for free get like a couple lands but on the battlefield. You're totally right though. If someone played this against like any of my like three color decks i have so few basic lands that i would probably just I have to yeah. just like the, one or two or something like that yeah pull the four out that i have and be like <laughs> well <laughs> didn't get full value okay. okay those are definitely some some awesome shout outs but uh what we're gonna do is talk about what cards we're gonna add to the deck and what cards we're gonna take out but before we get there we're gonna take a quick break see you in a minute Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. 
Welcome back. We are talking about upgrading this Silver Quill deck, and let's let's add some cards. Let's pump up the power level of this pre-constructed deck so it can hang with all of your friends and you could just start jamming games with this awesome, awesome deck. So to summarize, we are staying with the face card for this deck. Yep. We're going to take 10 cards and add them into the deck, take 10 cards that are underperforming out of the deck, and we're going to keep this all under $30. The first thing that you felt we needed a little bit more is ramp. Now, the deck has a pretty good amount of ramp, as we saw in there, but I always think it could use a bit more in um, in pre-cons, especially because, as we mentioned, some of the ramp is a little clunky, mm -hmm. and, and like it's got some of that like weird white pseudo-ramp uh, that's going on in there. Well, also, you've decided to add one of basically the best ramp spells and yes. awesome <laughs> new white spells in there. So tell so, us about Keeper of the Accord. So Keeper of the Accord is the first card we added on, which is three and a white, and it's a human soldier. At the beginning of each opponent's instep, if that player controls more creatures than you, create a 1-1 one, one white soldier creature token. And the, at the beginning of each opponent's instep, if that creature controls more lands than you, you may search your library for a basic planes card, put it into the battlefield tap, then shuffle your library. Um, so it is the same sort of thing where it's sort of like a balance ramp. Like it's only really helping you if the other people have more lands on the battlefield, but because you aren't green and you don't have land ramp, like a, a lot of people do, it's going to get you a lot of value and it can potentially get you value like multiple times throughout a turn. The other side of it, the fact that it makes tokens is like a fun plus in some decks. And I think it's a really big plus in... Brina the Demagogue, because just having a 1-1 one, one token or two 1-1 one, one tokens that you can swing at the two people who don't have the lowest life total to draw you two cards and maybe turn both of them to three threes or one into a 5-5 five, five is, it's very good. Yeah, you really need bodies in this deck. That's a good point that you yeah. always want to have a body and this generates bodies yep. for you to just throw away or for you to uh, mm -hmm. buff up. That's really good. You've also added Talisman of Hierarchy. It's two colorless mana for an artifact. You tap to add a colorless. You can also tap to add a white or black and does one damage to you. Just a solid uh, ramp artifact out of Modern Horizons. Yep. Uh, okay, you've also supplemented the card draw a little bit. Yeah. So the two cards I added for card draw, uh, the first is Mind's Eye. Now, Mind's Eye is one that I, the Command Zone's talked about before and has sometimes been pointed out as like not always quite being worth the bang for the buck. I have not added Mind's Eye to a deck in a long time. It yeah. used to be this, it really did used to be a staple, but I think it's fallen out of favor a little bit. You've chosen it for this deck though. So the reason I chose it, now I'll go over it real quick. It, it, Mind's Eye is uh, five colorless, um, or just five generic mana. And whenever an opponent draws a card, you may pay one. If you do, draw a card. Um, I agree that probably in a lot of decks this isn't quite there. Uh, but I think especially if you are uh, playing with Brina and you're giving everyone else all this card draw, it's just nice to have a way to turn that into draw for you. Um, because they are going to be constantly taking advantage of getting those extra cards. And Mind's Eye is just like a pretty solid way to turn all of your mana and all of their card draw into card draw for you. So what you're saying is that you want to live the dream by playing Mind's Eye and then on a later turn when you have nothing to do saying, 
I'm going to draw one card. And during your combat, when you attack this other person, I'll draw another card. During exactly. your turn, I'll draw another card. Yeah. Like you want to, you want to basically turn this into like a draw 10 across the whole, sure. the whole table <laughs> or something like that. You're like, no, your normal draw steps are not enough. I'm going to get, I'm going to draw off your brain of triggers. Too. That's at least the plan <laughs> because you at least know with Brina on the battlefield, everyone else has a card draw engine just by having creatures. Um, and they're probably going to want to use it. And Mind's Eye feels like it's pretty good for that. Okay. Okay. I can, I can get behind that. I can definitely get behind uh, living the dream. Um, but, uh, and I'm glad that we're kind of taking a, a more even view of it where it's like, it is definitely clunky and definitely like this. You I know? would not call it like the ideal card draw thing, but especially if you're like trying to build on a budget, it's, it is the most expensive budget card that we added onto the whole thing. Um, but it's not all that expensive. It's a pretty powerful piece if you get it out. And uh, especially in a deck like Brina, which tends to have a sort of the ability to fort up a little bit mm-hmm. and like get you to a somewhat protected place and disincentivize people attacking you, you do often, I feel like from my experience playing it, you do have time to play cards like that and start getting value out of it. Um, you had one other piece of card draw in mm-hmm. here, Ancient Craving, uh, three and a black for sorcery. You draw three cards and you lose three life. I just think it's a solid card draw card. I put it in a lot of my black commander decks. Um, it, it is a functional reprint of uh, Ambition's Cost, I think, uh, which is also in the deck. Cool. Um, and it's just a solid card draw. Sounds good. Yep, I'll, I like I'll, it. I'll keep it. So one area that I kind of liked, uh, that if I were upgrading this, I kind of talked to you a little bit about the Monarch and how I would like yeah. to kind of get the Monarch going a little bit. Uh, part of me was tempted when I looked at this deck and say, like, I have 10 upgrade slots. Let's just do these all. Search, search, <laughs> search. Black, white, Monarch. 10 cards. Yep, all of them. Go. Yeah, like Palace <laughs> Jailer or something would be an amazing. Oh, well, because you're disincentivized, like they're incentivized to attack other people. You have these things like Ghostly Prison. They keep them from attacking you. So, you you have inklings that get in damage that are flying, little soldiers that you want to send in. My thoughts with Monarch when I was coming up with these upgrades were kind of that Monarch is slight anti-synergy with stuff that disincentivizes people to attack you because Monarch incentivizes people to attack you. So there's some things in this deck that say, don't attack me. Right. But then there's a lot more things that say, please don't attack me. Uh, let me rephrase that. There are some things that say you can't attack me. Right. But there are many more things that say, please don't attack me and attack someone else. So sometimes the monarch overcomes those requests I, not to attack you. And there's not enough pieces that just say, no, you can't come in here. The more I think about it, the more I think that you are correct. And that monarch is is pretty pretty darn good in this uh, and would be a great thing to kind of add into stuff. If only because you're always going to have the ability to take it back because mm. you're going to have all these flyers and stuff. And even if the Monarch does get out there, that's just more incentive for everyone to beat the... To attack everyone else Yeah, to, to yeah. beat each other up and, and really, like, get things down to a, a a good level where you can finish them off. Oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, and then going on, you mentioned a little bit about the removal being lacking, and you've upgraded the removal package a little bit. Starting off, I'm going to read this one because I like it. It's, it's, got an, it's one of my favorites. It's got an elephant too. on the front. It's generous gift. Two and a white for an instant. You destroy a permanent, and they get an elephant. Yeah. It's adorable. It's... Uh, Do you see the elephant? It's sitting it's in a, got a it's coming elephant. out of a cake. It's, it's literally a cake. It's literally a white elephant gift. It is. And that's that's funny, along <laughs> with being a great card. Um generous gift, I mean it's it's uh beast within in white. 
And in general, like, it's not quite as, like, quick and useful as, like, a Swords to Plowshares or uh, Path to Exile, but it hits any target permanent. Mm-hmm. And that deals with any threat. And it gives them a 3-3 green elephant creature token, which normally is a, like, mild whatever thing in Commander. But giving the opponent creatures that they can attack with to give you tokens, or to give you counters, is a nice little upside in this deck. It just gives people things that they can it's attack each other with. It's a little bit more political. Like, yeah. it's more political than the average removal spell. Love it. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of political removal spells... This is uh, the the most political of all political removal spells <laughs> and like a personal favorite card of mine. I, I really like this card. Uh, this is Council's Judgment. It is one and two white and it's a sorcery and it's a little complicated. It has, it's it's from the one of the conspiracy sets. Will of the Council from the first conspiracy set. Will of the Council. <laughs> I like to, when I play it, be like, I'm calling a meeting of the council. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everyone. Meeting time. Council time. Uh, and the way it works is starting with you, each player votes for a non-land permanent you don't control. Exile each permanent with the most votes or tied for most votes. Usually, I mean, this definitely gets you at least one thing destroyed. Yeah. You can often talk people into getting two things. And if you're really lucky... It's hard to get rid of three things. You can get rid of three or four. <laughs> you can. <laughs> it's hard. You can, but it's hard, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like the trick is like after people have voted once or twice, be like... Now we can screw that person over. <laughs> There's nothing he could do about it. He already cast his vote. Uh, you mentioned earlier on that you like this as a removal spell in political decks because it's a removal spell that doesn't have anyone looking at you. Yeah. You play this card and you choose something. And the way I tend to like to play it is to pick not the biggest threat on the board, but you pick like the second biggest threat on the board. And you let someone else be like, wait, we've got to remove that. Hopefully the next person that's going to vote, right? Exactly. And then they use their vote on that. And uh, then people kind of come out of it not feeling like, oh, he just removed, like, Jordan just removed my stuff. We need to attack him. Instead feeling like, Whoever did that other thing attack them. It creates dissent. It makes people butt heads against each other. And that can really matter. That honestly, the cards that have the table talking Mm -hmm. are good magic cards. They're good cards for a multiplayer social format. This is a great card. Thank you for including it. Yeah. Um, next we have a little bit of removal. This is mass removal. It's a board wipe called Austere Command. Austere Command. <laughs> Most of this deck, you can talk like this and uh-huh. everyone will, ha ha. I am a demagogue. This is a deck you can bring your monocle to. Okay. Fight amongst yourselves. <laughs> Austere Command is four white white for a sorcery. Choose to destroy all artifacts, destroy all enchantments, destroy all creatures with converted mana cost three or less mm-hmm. or mana value. Mana value. (laughs) Times they are changing. (laughs) Destroy all creatures with converted mana cost four or greater. Um, This seems to work really well if you have a bunch of inklings or a bunch of tokens so that you can wipe away and your commander's three CMC, right? Yep. So he works with the tokens. So you can have Brina out, who often is like a seven... You know, it's, it's oh, a big yeah. creature. It's big. Your little things are big because you've stacked counters on them. They feel like creatures that are four CMC or more, but they are not. They are they are small. Um, and so that can make this, this can, I, I mean, in a recent board wipe episode, they talked about kind of like making board wipes less symmetrical. And this is one that can be very asymmetrical for this deck. It's also worth noting that uh, 
especially in like a pre-con environment that has time to like get to the six mana, uh, it's really good. But I think it's good in general just because you never really want your board wiped. You want to still have your creatures down and stuff. And Austere Command kind of gives you the control you need. Sounds good. All right. Uh, next up, we have what I call your little recursion package. Yes. Let's uh, talk about the recursion engine you added here. So I added Phyrexian Reclamation into this deck, which is just one black, and it's an enchantment, and it has the ability, one and a black, pay two life, return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. And my thought putting this in, if you do look in the deck, um, there's a couple cards that have like a very minor theme of being able to recur creatures, uh, being able to take stuff from your graveyard and put it out there. And I don't think it's the major theme of the deck, but especially if the game kind of goes long, you want something that if you start running out of gas can take all the gas that's been destroyed and like put it back into your hand. Got it. So you picked up on like a sub theme of the deck and you're like, yeah. you know what? I like that sub theme. I want to strengthen it a little bit mm -hmm. by adding Phyrexian Reclamation and also by adding some value creatures. Yep. Uh, one of the value creatures that you added is Grey Merchant of Asphodel. Three black, black for a two, four. Uh, when it comes in, it drains all your opponents for the amount of black devotion that you have. And you could have quite a bit. Yeah, you could have a bunch. And honestly, the floor of uh, Grey Merchant of Asphodel, known as Gary, um, mm, to yeah. a lot of people, uh, it, it's not that bad. I mean, just the fact that like if you play it and it drains everybody for two and you gain six, that can be a pretty nice swing. Chances are, unless you've like just had your board wiped, it's going to get a lot more than that. Yeah, I've seen Gary's do insane work, trust me. Yeah. And then you also added Gaunty Lord of Luxury, two black black for a two three uh, legendary uh, Aetherborn Rogue. It's got Death Touch. And when this enters the battlefield, you get to go digging through your opponent's deck. <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> it is one of my favorite things to do. So you get to target an opponent, you get to go four deep, and you get to take one of those cards, and it's it's yours now. Yeah. You just get to you get to cast it. Yeah, and, and you can <laughs> cast it as though you can cast it with any mana, so you don't yeah. need to worry about like the colors or anything like that. But Gonti, if you can cast Gonti and then he dies, uh, and you you play him again, you can just get so much value from it. I, I think Gonti is great like at any point in the game. Yeah. Um, he's really good. He's super good if you have any way to recur him. And uh, the death touch is not nothing because if Another you're... disincentivizing to attack you. It's like, don't attack me. Yeah. I have death touch. And if you put a couple counters on Gonti, like, you know, if you just make him a four or five with death touch, then that's something people don't want to mess with. Yeah, I don't want I don't want to mess with Gonti. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Awesome upgrades uh, coming in under $30, $27.16. But you know what? We're not just going to give you the cards to add to here and not give you any direction on what to take out. We're going to tell you what 10 cards to take out and why we decided to cut them. First up, you have a theme here. Your theme yes. is is cutting big creatures that uh, that have that cost way too much mana. That's, so why don't you mention the, these it. four big creatures really quickly? And um, yeah. okay, so the four creatures, the four big creatures I cut um, were Guardian Archon. Let's read Guardian Archon because it's a Gu new card. It is a new one, and it's a little uh, complicated. So it's four and two white. And it is a uh, Archon, and it has flying. It is a 5-5. Five, five. So that's fine. Um, I mean, a 5-5 five, five flyer. He's already unimpressed. Gets a 5-5 five, five flyer, an, and he's I, just like... A 5-5 five, five flyer for six? Mm. You're, you're right. You're right. We're commander. It's commander. You're going to make, it, you're gonna make an inkling sure. bigger than this. You're going to make yeah. an inkling bigger than this in a second. Exactly. Yeah. Um, as Guardian Archon enters the battlefield, secretly choose an opponent. Fun to do. 
but not doesn't, doesn't play out as well. Yeah. I do like secretly choosing people. Yeah, it's neat. There's other cards that'll do it. Uh, then you have the ability to reveal the player you chose. You and target permanent you control each game protection from the chosen player until end of turn. Activate only once. So that lets you like. So it gives you a level of protection, but you can only get it done once, and it can only do one creature, one opponent, one, and you have to yeah. choose them beforehand. So one, you have to, be and right. you have to deploy it at six mana. Yeah, you have to be right about which opponent is a threat. Um, you only really protect one permanent. Yeah, it can kind of fog. So it sounds like Mother of Runes or like Giver of Runes might just be like way better than this. I completely agree with or that. Or like, um, you know, Glory in Your Graveyard or, mm -hmm. you know, a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, and if, okay. And if someone tries to remove this, well, you could just totally lose the ability. So the protection is good, but you want protection that's not clunky six drop. Yeah. Having a five, five flyer is fine, but not at six. And you'd rather have it lower because you want to put counters on it it's, and you want to deploy it a little bit faster. Yeah. That makes total sense. Total sense. And honestly, the choosing an opponent thing is a really big downside on this. Hmm. If this was just like one time you could use the ability, it would be even slightly better. But if the wrong person goes to remove this guardian archon, it just dies. Hmm. Like, you'd be like, all right, fine, I'll activate it to gain protection from person who didn't just try and remove it. Yeah. And that doesn't do anything for you. Yeah. Okay. I, I just think there's too many cases where Guardian Archon does very little. There is there's one corner case where you can pick the opponent that you want to kill, and you have a big soldier that you've been putting plus one plus one counters on. Sure. And then you're like, all right, protection. this soldier that has a bajillion counters on it has protection from you. It's unblockable. You. Roll yeah. on in. Yeah. Yeah. So I can see I can see some corner cases where people would would keep it in, but I agree it's just so clunky. Yeah, and I, I mean that's I the name like of the game for this one: too high a mana cost for the val for the value for these cards. Bad cards are good sometimes. That You're doesn't make them good cards. <laughs> <laughs> that struck that struck home. I'm for sorry. Some I, I, I don't know why. Personal. I don't know why, but that struck home. <laughs> what else <laughs> we got here? <laughs> um, uh, then I also took out Angel of Serenity, which is a reprint. And basically the way Angel of Serenity works is when you play it, uh, you get to exile creatures from the battlefield or creature cards from graveyards. And then when it leaves the battlefield, you return those cards to their owner's hand. So like the value case in this, I think, because I don't, I don't think it's very good for just removing three of your opponent's creatures. Because it feels like this will die and then it's just a bounce. It's right? get it back. And, you're, and that could be a plus. I mean, a lot of car creatures have good ETBs. The way this is probably used to get value is... Exile three creatures from your graveyard. When they kill it, you get those back to your hand. But I think a lot of your same arguments are that it's clunky and you'd rather have that yeah. Phyrexian Reclamation that does things a little bit faster. And that's exactly Too much right. Yeah, because yeah, it costs seven to do it. Um, next, I took out Tesa Envoy of Ghost, which is another seven mana card. Um, it has Vigilance and Protection from Creatures, which is neat. Um, but and, and then whenever a creature deals combat damage to you, destroy that creature. Create a 1-1 one, one white and black spirit creature token with flying. That's powerful. I know. that Now I know why this is in here, because it is powerful. It disincentivizes attacking you. Yeah. But again, you it comes down so late. And my thought with Tesa is it doesn't actually protect you. It punishes people who did attack you. And the way, like, uh, if someone yeah. played a Tesa against me and they... Sp spent turn seven or, you know, a late turn where they had seven mana to put this creature down, I would just go, fine, when I attack them, I'm going to make sure it kills them. I also feel that creatures die not from other creatures or creature combat. They die from removal spells and board wipes. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I mean, she's just, she's very removable. Yeah. Okay. You know? 
Next, I took out, uh, or next, I took out Zatopa, Primal Dawn, who, uh... This one's a little bit harder to remove, though. It's indestructible. It definitely is. I just think there's a lot of... What are all the keywords on this big around. dino boy? It's it's a big old dino boy. Flying, double strike, vigilance, trample, indestructible. It could be, uh, uh Audric's mount. Counter... <laughs> Audric's mount? <laughs> yeah. You know, they, they like. get all that stuff together. <laughs> I mean, if... I, I would like to ride Zatalpa. That sounds nice. I think it's good. And a big, I mean, I think it's fine. And a big beater in the air is is okay. I just, um, I don't know. I think it's... This holds plus one, plus one counters really well. Sure. But maybe, maybe like a, just a smaller, like a three mana, one, one double striking flyer would be better. You'd like that more? Yeah. And uh, like something with double strike that isn't going to just draw the hate of the entire board. Oh yeah. Zatalpa comes down and it needs an answer. So you're afraid of like dropping Zatalpa. It doesn't have haste. Not being able to like deal a lot of damage. And then suddenly all your politics are out the, out the window. Chances are you're taking a turn off. And if you have a Zatalpa on the board, you can never make the case that you're not the threat Hmm. ever. I like that. Um, you also looks like you upgraded some or removal spells and you took some of them, some of them out that are definitely lackluster. So uh, these three are sort of, well, two of these I'd call kind of pseudo removal. And one of them is, uh, actual removal, but I just don't like it very much. <laughs> um, the first is vow of duty. Uh, this is two and a white and this is enchant creature. Enchanted creature. It gets plus two, plus two vigilance and can't attack you or a planeswalker you can control. I've seen the vow cycle before. Um, they're fine. Yeah, um, it doesn't actually get rid of the creature. Yeah. If a creature has a activated ability that's wrecking you, uh, it's still there. It can still do that. It just can't attack you. And a lot of decks don't care about attacking you. I mean, when I think about the way that you upgraded the, your removal suite, you kind of did something like this anyways by yeah. giving them the elephant. But exactly. instead it's like, no, you don't get that activated ability. You get an elephant that's only good at attacking mm-hmm. versus this thing that can still let them keep their creature that and, could be doing a lot of damage. And Generous Gift can also take out an artifact or mm, a yeah. ball coffer. A lot more flexible for sure. Yeah. I like the the next one a little bit better. Parasitic Impetus I think is a little better because it does... Uh, so Parasitic Impetus is one of the cards that forces creatures to be goaded. Um, this is Enchant Creature. Enchanted Creature gets plus two, plus two and is goaded. And whenever Enchanted Creature attacks, its controller loses two life and you gain two life. So it does drain them over time. But I feel like that little bit of like life shift is not super worth it in my mind. And I feel like the way this tends to play out is you play parasitic impetus and they go, hey, will you uh, block this dude (laughs) if I roll him into you? Or it's just like, all right, if you don't block, that's fine. I'll still roll him into you. Yeah. And they're taking a bunch of damage. Like why? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I I don't. And that's that's table talk and politics that's working against you. Yeah, exactly. Um. it's, it's just, I don't think it's great. There's another goad card like this called Martial Impetus in the deck that I think is just slightly better. And you kept it. And I kept that one in. All right. Um, over Vow of Duty and Parasitic right. Impetus. You're right. You don't need all of the enchantment removals in there. You pick the best one and you yeah. cut the ones that you don't like as much. Great decision. Yeah. And um, then I took out Soul Snare, which is one white, which is nice. That's cheap. But uh, it is an enchantment and it is... Pay white, sacrifice soul snare, exile target creature that's attacking you or a planeswalker you control. This has a similar thing to your first one, the the vow of duty, where it doesn't go after those uh, creatures that are wrecking you that are not attacking. Because yeah. this has to attack you for you to 
Exactly. No, I know why it's in the deck because it's like this disincentivizing, this political don't attack me, I can kill your creature kind of thing. So I like that they included it, but I totally get what you mean. It's neat and it might make people go like, oh, I won't attack him with my commander because I don't want him to get exiled. Or your Zatalpa. Or Zatalpa, <laughs> right. But the chances are if, you know, you are against an opponent who has a lot of things to attack with on the board, they're going to be like, yeah, I'll roll... 10 sapperling tokens at you. I feel like you got a lot of good ways to manipulate attacking too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And all I right. don't think you need soul snare. Cool. Um, all right. Next we have some awkward creatures. Yes. So having played the deck a little bit, so the first one I took out here, um, hunted Lamasu, um, which is uh, two and two white. It's from like the, the recent hunted cycle. Yeah. And it's just a five, five flyer. Uh, and then it makes a four, four, Black horror creature token and someone else's thing. I actually might have left this in now that I kind of just see how good having flyers on the battlefield is for this. But I do think it's just a, a slightly underpowered card. It doesn't do any, like it does put a body on the board and it creates a body for someone else. And the idea is that they can attack with each other, but it's not that big impact. Well, and also if you... One reason why I like the hunted cycle a lot is that if you can make a deal with an opponent and that creature never attacks you, right. then it's almost as if you have that creature too. Yeah. So then the value is really good. Um, but I know what you mean. You know, there's a lot of political stuff in this deck. And um, and I like that this is one of the ones that you're like, maybe this should have stayed in here because flyers are good. I could see this like fitting into a version of this deck. I, I just think it's pretty low impact. Mm, I if, agree. If it did something every turn or changed the state a of the flyer. board a little more, it's just a flyer. And I think that you would rather have a, a dumb flyer be lower CMC. Yeah, or a dumb flyer... That is, you know, something that creates a dumb flyer every turn. Oh, yeah, that'd be Something good like that. Um, you right. know, there's a lot of options. Yeah. Speaking of dumb flyers, Idiot Bird is a good. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, but you have a, a dumb planeswalker there. I don't, <laughs> I don't get why this card is in the deck. Um, this is Gideon Champion of Justice, which is uh, two and two white. And he's just a four loyalty Gideon, and you can tick him up to put a loyalty counter on Gideon, Champion of Justice, for each creature target opponent controls, which I guess can get him pretty high if opponents have a lot of creatures. Yeah. Um, and then at zero, you can he has a zero ability, which is until end of turn, Gideon, Champion of Justice, becomes a human soldier creature with power and toughness equal to the number of loyalty counters on him and gains indestructible. He's still a planeswalker. Prevent all damage that would be dealt to him this turn. Gideon big. He can be big, but if he is big, then your opponents have plenty of blockers. Um, You're right, yeah. And I feel like I feel like you have the way to make things big yourself. Yeah. And also, like, keyword big is not that great. And the stuff that makes things big do not work on Gideon. Oh, you're right. And he's a planeswalker. Well, on your turn. So as everyone else is attacking, it's not like you can put those counters on Gideon and make your big indestructible beater great. Because you were saying that you always want a token on the, on the battlefield, even during your opponent's turn, because as they're attacking each other, you build up your token. Yeah. Gideon just sits there and is still a dumb planeswalker, unable to... And then doesn't he, even synergize. It makes me, here's the thing. Some of these things, when they synergize, I'm like, oh, cool. It's with the theme. I oh, can see that. This doesn't even, this is a non-bow. I don't like it. Absolutely. Like parasitic impetus, as much as I, it, it didn't make my personal cut for the card. It is, it's a politics card. It, it gets people yeah. to attack each other. Things like that. Um, it's also worth noting that it does have the ultimate of a minus 15, which is exile all other permanents. Uh, which <laughs> is miserable. It's a miserable <laughs> ultimate. Because let's let's clarify that. It's not all other creatures. 
It's not. It's everything. It's your all own stuff All non-land too. permanence. All, yeah, it's it's just, all other permanence. <laughs> so imagine everything's gone. You just got you a don't big, refill your hand stupid Gideon. You just have a Gideon. And by the way, when you use that minus 15, he's probably not that big anymore. And you can't plus him to get him bigger. No. Nope. So now he's like a 2 2. You're like, like great. activating every turn, trying to close out the game. So glad I reset the board for no reason. Ah, that's horrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like Gideon. He's out. First cut out of here, Chad. <laughs> Last card. So the next card I cut, and, and this is technically ramp, so it was a little hard to cut, but this is Coveted Jewel. It costs six, and when it enters the battle, when Coveted Jewel enters the battlefield, draw three cards. And you can tap it and add three mana of any one color. But then, whenever one or more creatures an opponent controls attacks you and aren't blocked, that player draws three cards and gains control of Coveted Jewel. Untap it. I think it's big. I think it's kind of clunky. And I think if it does what it seems like it's trying to do, which is like get out to someone else and get them to fight amongst each other, it's giving way too much value to mm, your opponent. Because it's giving cards and mana. Yeah. Do you know what? This was, you were a little bit so-so on the Monarch. Mm-hmm. This is too far even for me. Way too far. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This, this is my reasoning for the monarch, but like, but like, uh, yeah, bigly, <laughs> Big, bigly. Yes. Uh, yeah. But I like that it's political. It's sort of fun to have them squabble amongst themselves, but it's yeah. way too much card advantage. Yeah. I, I mean, if if this draws like two people three cards, I, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, great substitutions, cards in, cards out. Uh, let's cheated. talk about how, that's not cheating. That's just <laughs> Let's just talk about how the deck plays. Well, first up, one thing we talked about is that this is kind of a political control deck. This is not designed to win quickly. Yeah. You might get on the battlefield quickly because you always want something, you want people to attack each other, you want people to, you want things to put your plus and plus encounters right. on, you want your commander on there, but you're not winning quickly. No. Right? Okay. It, it's not the sort of deck that plays like big haymakers that make everybody like. Well, you took out all the big haymakers. <laughs> you're you're right, <laughs> but that's that's because that's that's not how I see the strategy going. Okay. In the entire thing. The way I kind of see this deck playing is that you do everything you can to protect yourself, to encourage other people. You selectively remove threats that are too big to deal, and you let everyone fight each other. And then when they get down to manageable life totals. You have the strongest board, and you can roll in and kill them all. Yeah, you have uh, you have a board, you have the engine, and you have the life to be able to leverage too. And then something like Gary or Gray Merchant of Asphodel mm-hmm. can you know play down and just make those swings uh, end things. Very cool. Yeah. All right. So to the listeners, what do you guys think of Silver Quill Statement? What do you think of this precon? Is it the right kind of deck for you? How would you upgrade it? What mistakes did we make when yeah. upgrading this deck? What did I Please miss? Let him know <laughs> Please every tell me. problem with the upgrade guide in the comments down <laughs> below. This is my favorite part. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, so uh, if you're interested in this deck, if you're interested in magic cards in general, I think you are if you're still with us. Yeah, right. Then go ahead and check out Card Kingdom. Buy your singles there. Uh, they are amazing. Uh, Card Kingdom, great customer service. We love working with them. Cardkingdom.com slash command zone. And of course, Ultra Pro, you're going to get these cards. You're going to get this deck. You're going to want to sleeve it up. You're going to want to protect it, especially if you get some nice upgrades for this deck protect them in ultra pro products they really are amazing and they protect your cards and that's what you want beautiful protected cards that do what you want yeah we don't have an end step nope nope because we make too many episodes this month (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, there's a lot of content to make episodes for, so. Go ahead and read us out here. Okay, uh, so our editing graphics and logistics team is Manson Lung, Craig Blanchett, Ashlyn Rose, Lady Danger, Alfred Estaca, Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, Patrick Nahn, Jordan Pridgen, me, Arthur Mittercroft, Sam Waldo, and Gaurav Gulati. Uh, and special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for the Living Card animations at Living Cards MTG. Thank you so much for joining us with these. Make sure to check out the extra turns where you pilot this deck against a bunch of awesome other pre-cons. Which is either already out or coming out some point in the future. We're, yep, yep, cool stuff coming. And no matter what, there's cool stuff coming. All right, everyone, thank you so much for joining us. Take care. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs>